Podcast One. It's the end of a long day. You're ready to go home, put your feet up and pop the cork off a cheeky red. But you can't because you've committed to attend a business networking event. An event where you're going to have to mingle with strangers, make small talk, be sold to, then wander home with a pocket full of business cards that'll sit on your desk and gather dust. Well, it doesn't have to be that way especially if you apply what today's guest has to say. He's a business networking ninja. (laughs) It's a highly connected episode 511 of the award-winning Small Business Big Marketing Podcast. Welcome to the Small Business Marketing Show, where successful small business owners share their souls. To take your marketing straight to the lead, now here's your host, Mr. Tim Bowie. And welcome back to your weekly dose of sweaty palmed marketing. I'm your host, Timbo Reed. You infinitely more importantly, are a motivated business owner ready to crank out some great marketing to build that beautiful business of yours into the empire it absolutely deserves to be. Big episode today. Networking specialist Matt Alderson joins us to not only share how to grow your business through effective networking, but he also shares his learnings from owning 10 businesses. This week's Monster Prize Draw winner shares the marketing idea that gives them the biggest ROI, and I let you in on next week's guest who absolutely over-delivered. As per usual, team, there is marketing G-O-L-D dripping from the ceiling over here at Small Business Big Marketing's HQ, so let's get stuck right in. Matt Alderton caught my attention for two reasons. Firstly, he's owned and run 10 businesses from video stores to Subway franchises. And secondly, he absolutely loves business networking, so much so that he's founded BX Networking, Australia's fastest growing face-to-face community of business owners. Added to that, he's won a bunch of national business awards, including the prestigious Emerging Talent category at the 2018 Telstra Business Awards. Now, we cover plenty of ground here, including the ins and outs of successful networking. I think you're going to love that. Plus, what he's learned from running businesses in so many different categories. We talk customer service, we talk pricing, we talk systems, we talk all sorts of stuff that is going to help you grow your business. I also ask a few questions that were posted by various members of the Small Business Big Marketing Facebook tribe. Membership does have its privileges. Here's Matt explaining where his love of business comes from. I'm a probably a serial entrepreneur, but it comes... A bit deeper than that, I've had um, a family in business for many years. My dad actually owned a video shop in the 80s, probably a bit before their prime. And uh, my grandfather owned a convenience shop. And so we've always kind of had that small business thing in the veins. But uh, I guess I've just become more passionate about it as I've got older as well. Having owned my own businesses as well, it's just, you know, we are, I know it's such a coined phrase, the backbone of the Australian economy, but I truly do believe we are the heartbeat of the Australian economy. We employ 60% of Australians, let's face it. No doubt. 
small business is, is huge for um, Australia and, and, and business owners put their life on the line and risk their lives and their livelihood to, to generate um, a greater future for themselves. So N- Never a true word spoken, but please hold on to some cliches for the rest of the we've got We've got a whole interview to go, all right? Okay. <laughs> and I, it's interesting you reflected on your family tree. I have done that as well. And in my family tree, there's actually no employers uh, for about three generations because I, I had previously reflected on where's my curiosity for business come from? And it comes from the fact that I don't come from a line of business owners and therefore I look at you guys, and I'm a business owner now myself, but I look at you guys with such admiration and I just think the courage that business owners show in bringing something to life and to market is extraordinary. What do you particularly love about business, Matt? Um, I love the, the, the challenge, the excitement of it. I had to use another cliche, the control of your future and stuff like that is great. But it's, I find it such a thrill uh, to, you know, just be in charge of your own fate. So every decision you make could be the make or break for your business. So, you know, you've got to really be around good people and smart people to, to help make the best decisions. But I find that really exhilarating and enjoyable. What are you particularly good at? Lose the humility. Um, I guess what most people sort of say is that I'm able to do is look really holistically, big picture at business and just go, that's what we need to tap into. That's what we need to do. That's what we need to fix. I'm pretty right brain, so I'm creative, but I can look at stuff and just pick the holes in it and pick the great stuff straight away and and seize on the greatness and and jump into that. Even as you say that, Matt, you actually looked down, which sort of says to me, you're kind of seeing it like a a 30,000 foot view of business? Is that how you kind of, you look at stuff and you can see what needs to be done and you can see the possibilities and blockages? Do you then have to surround yourself with great people because you're no good at detail or are you one of these unicorns that can do everything? No, so absolutely. I Well, it's, it's like the matrix. You know, when I look at business, I kind of, the best analogy I could use is it's like looking at the matrix and just being able to see it clearly. But being in business, you know, you've got to, you've got to be a pretty smart operator to be successful. But I think the smartest operators are those that spend the most amount of time with fantastic people who are able to, you know, guide them and help them make great decisions. And and I know a lot of my success has come from being around amazing people, but also a lot of my failures and, and setbacks have also come from being around some not so great people as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your Achilles heel? What are you particularly not good at? It's a people thing. I'm very trusting. I kind of give people always probably for the majority of people, it works great. But I, I just think I'm so generous and, and, and trusting with people that I get burnt quite easy. Um, and it you know, kind of wounds you every time. And I keep going back for more. So, you know, people is hard. I had over 200 team members in my businesses over the years. Um, like at the peak, I had 200 at one time. And, you know, I've had partners and all sorts of stuff. And, and people are the hardest part about business. Also the most rewarding, of course, but yeah, hard. You know, it's hard with a lot of people. <laughs> well, it, it's a lovely trait to have to be trusting because I guess if you said, okay, well, no more of that, then you become this hard-assed kind of person that doesn't trust and so I guess you've got to manage that. Is it, What do you do about it? Do you just recognize it and, and watch yourself trust and go, oh, hang on, I've crossed the line? Well, it's kind of the thing where you you do have to self-reflect a little bit on those decisions that you've made that haven't worked and the ones that, because for everyone that does work, you might have four or five that work sensationally. So you've, you know, it's, it's a good thing. In, in the end result is a good thing, but uh, you've got to be just more reflective on the decisions that you make and, and certainly go back. And my wife is awesome for uh, helping me self-reflect, um, as many wives probably are, but she is really good at it. She, we talk and, about decisions that we make and, and she you know pushes the buttons that 
hurt sometimes, but it makes you, you know, stop back and think, okay, I probably could have seen that one coming. Holds the mirror. Now you own, this is, this is where my mind starts to just go into meltdown mode. You owned and were actively involved in nine businesses all at the same time. Two yeah, questions. <laughs> Why and how did you remain effective? Because it seems to me to go against the grain of being good at something. One thing. I think for a short period of time, there's actually 10 at the same time, but yeah, nine for a quite a period of time. Um, I am a madman. <laughs> the, the why question is a smart question because why would you do that to yourself? And and certainly it, it, if I reflect back through that time, it was chaos for me. Um, and I had some, you know, some cracker success through that, but also had some pretty monumental um, setbacks as well through that process. But What was uh, the driver? Greed? No, <laughs> one would think maybe no. <laughs> um, I guess it was momentum. Um, things just keep happening. Opportunities just keep coming your way. And I guess, you know, that old adage that, you know, you should say no to more things than you say yes to. Uh, I was probably good at saying yes to a lot of things because they were, they were fantastic opportunities. Uh, many of them were in retail and hospitality. Um, I opened a number of Subway restaurants, a number of cafes. I had a couple of video shops. I had some tech businesses. Um, stuff just kept happening. Um, and it was awesome at the time. And, and obviously, the exhilaration of it's like jumping out of a plane, right? You And building the parachute on the way down. It, so, uh, that's really what we did. But it, would, it did come back to having some pretty good people around me um, at what, the time. What was your like, criteria for, for saying yes to, <laughs> to a business opportunity? Well, this is going back about 10 years ago, 12 years ago when it was- You must have been about eight. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. <laughs> uh, so uh, let's just say that um, I'm, I'm unfortunately, I've had my 40th birthday now right. and it's, um, it's a couple of years gone. Well, for, for listeners, this is a podcast, an audio show. I can tell you that Matt looks not a day over 25. I was going to say the same about you, Tim. How about oh, that? Here we go. Mutual Admiration Society. <laughs> what was your criteria? My criteria, well, really, back then, early 30s, what was I thinking? Hmm, is it going to make money? Then let's do it. That was really my strategy behind it. If I had have had probably a better accountant at the time, I hope he's not listening. He's not my accountant anymore anyway. But if I had had a better accountant at the time, he would have said to me or they would have said to me, don't do this or stretch it out or, or find the people first that are going to run it. Because my challenge was I, I always built, um, I built the parachute on the way down. Literally, I found the people who made it happen. And I was lucky in the end, I, I had a lot of success. And the, the setbacks that we had were smaller than the gains that we had. So we did, you know, we did do well out of it. But, um, and I learned a lot as we, as we went through. But that is small business, right? Like nobody gets in a business with a business degree. They go in there because they've got a skill set and they're going to deliver that with exceptional quality. And, 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 but they don't have any idea how to run a business most of the time. They might be good at accounts. They might be good with people, but they're not good at everything. And that's, that's just being in small business in Australia. Well, you know, it's fascinating. My interview prior to this was with a couple who have launched a business lifestyle tradies and uh, they were plumbers. They had a plumbing business, which absolutely fell to pieces after a huge amount of success and have subsequently come out the other side. And classic example, you know, tradies are taught to fix circuit boards or, you know, plumb toilets in or whatever it may be, but not taught to run a business. And I think so many business owners pretend to be good business people, but in actual fact, they're just good architects or they're just good accountants, you know, or they're just good at whatever they were taught to be good at or have a passion about. So running a business, and I guess that's why, you know, money budget allowing that you, you put in uh, a general manager and why you put in people around you. What was your favorite business, Matt, in that time and, and why? 
Oh, my favorite business. It's hard. It's like saying, which was my favorite child? <laughs> which is my favorite child? Um, do you know, it's funny. I'd have to say, and, and many listeners will cringe when I say this, but they'll, if you remember back, you'll think about this and you'll go, oh yeah, okay. I can see why he thinks that. It was my video shops. I had, I had a couple of video shops. In fact, as you know, my father had one as well. By coincidence, I ended up back in the industry. He was in the industry before it made lots of money. I was in the industry after it made lots of money. <laughs> Timing's everything. <laughs> but, um, and it is right, but you would, you will laugh. I sold that business in 2019. So last year, Stop just over it. 12 months ago, sold the business. So there's probably lots of video store owners that um, had video stores and thought, wow, I, I couldn't even sell mine. I managed to, you know, I had a lot of experience that I gained over the years. I, I just worked out a way to really capitalize on adding value and profit into a video store and, and delivering on the products and services. Well, tell me about that. That's a really, int- that's fascinating. I, like, A, why would you continue to run a video store up to 2019? And dare I say who, I won't say stupid enough, it's what I'm thinking, but I'm not going to say. I mean, yeah, like clearly there's there was something there. You was, did it, was it. it niche? Oh. Was it about, you know, movie nuts? I don't know. Tell me more. I should have probably sold it earlier. Uh, the businessman in me says I should have sold it earlier, but the uh, the romantic in me loved it. I love the industry. There's something really captivating about the video industry, the movie industry. Every week you get five to 10 new films that no one's seen before. They've not seen them at the movies. They're dying for them to come out. So you've got all these customers and there still was a massive base of customers. And now the area that this business was in, there was no NBN yet. It, it hadn't yet come in and it came in throughout 2000. 2019. So I knew it was kind of the time where access to high quality internet was going to definitely hampen the marketplace there for me. But um, it was a great business. I loved it. And uh, and I think, guess that passion translated into therefore the sales. But the person who bought it, I mean, I, you know, probably can't divulge too much. I'm not asking who, but what did they see? Were they naive? <laughs> Little disclaimer here. They actually bought um, a number of businesses of mine at the same time. And, <laughs> and you um, threw so, it in. <laughs> and I, it was, uh, they were obviously wanted to, actually, I didn't quite throw it in at the same time. I kept it. And then they realized they needed and they wanted the whole site to themselves as well and didn't want to have the video shop necessary there as well. But they continued trading it because they realized the value of having it there. But um, if you don't have the passion, the understanding, yeah, you're not going to be able to do uh, you know, what we quite achieved with it, unfortunately. But um, now, were, yeah, you one of those, were you one of those video store owners that would you know chase you for months and months and months and just keep piling up the, the, the non-return fines? And go, you know, you know, mate, you borrowed, uh, you borrowed Gladiator in uh, 2013. You haven't returned it. Your fine's now five and a half grand. That's how I made all the money on video stores, yeah. mate. <laughs> yeah, I thought so. <laughs> Not at all. No, look, they said video. They say late fees killed the video shops, but um, it was people returning movies late that uh, actually killed the video store. <laughs> and and the 18 plus section, just interested in the position of it within the store. Was it back right hand corner or right the up front? Rated, actually. When I bought my shops, I removed the R-rated sections from uh, you, my you shops. You could like that. Look, you know, it was it's a family it was a family place. And That's I'm a family right. man. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. What was your least favorite business, Matt, and why? Okay, so just between you and me, right? Okay, so no one listening. Great. So my subways, and it wasn't the brand because I I love the brand. I love the food. The the food's amazing. And if you all knew what went into the back end of like from head office for all the way through Australia and that. And, and Subway in Australia is one of the biggest suppliers for produce outside of Australia to the other Subways as well. So there's more money that comes into Australia than out of Australia from a franchise perspective, even though it's an American franchise. But 
it's like having a noose around your neck. They, you got to do everything their way. It's a franchise. And great, I learned a lot, but uh, it, it was like, you know, trying to leash a beast and, and it was killing me actually. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I, I had many a fight and argument with uh, my development agents and the franchise because I just had better ideas than I thought. But, but, I, yeah, thought but I hear that a lot. I mean, and I hear, you know, franchisees come in and like they want to do it their way, but aren't you paying a significant fee, a one-off and then an ongoing to, you, you're, you're buying a system. So shut up and run the business and, and it should produce a, re- a reasonable return on investment. <laughs> yes. And I did learn this. Absolutely. And you're uh, right, right, Jim. You are. Because you are buying a world-class system, like one of the world's biggest franchises. And But any franchise that you buy, you're buying that turnkey operation. So it's the perfect business for a new business owner, any kind of franchise, because they give you the tools to succeed. They give you the structure and the strategies and and the access to the experts that will help you succeed in that. And I had that, but I'm just like that ultimate entrepreneur that likes to do things my own way as yeah, well. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Don't buy another franchise. No, uh, now, sub, Subway, but before we move on, because uh, I mentioned you have many stories around the different businesses you've owned and I want to extract some of them, but just let's talk Subway. I have been a Subway customer in the past. My son will absolutely, I think he's the ideal, he's the 20-year-old boy, you know, loves Subway. They all smell the same. I think they have a weird smell, but they never ever seem to update, I find, with Subway. They seem a little bit dated. Am I missing something there? Well, actually, yeah, you're right. For a long time, let's remember they came out of America as well. So, I'm not even going to get into that conversation about America right now. <laughs> Can of worms will be here all day. But like it, it, they were sort of stuck in this, this is the way America does it. This is the way the rest of the world will do it. But Australia broke through that. Uh, I saw sort of 2018, 2019, they started rebranding all the shops and refreshing. So they've finally broke free of the US in terms of that sort of control on the look and feel. And they, they're looking much better. A lot of the new shops look fantastic, but you still can't beat a chicken fillet with bacon. Oh my God, the best. Mate, I was just going to, well, just to finish the subway <laughs> conversation, I was going to ask, What's your mix? And uh, yeah, I don't mind Chipotle the Italian sauce. meatballs myself. <laughs> oh, beautiful. With Chipotle sauce and a bit of uh, streaky bacon. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> now, let's talk stories because I imagine there are many from owning 10 businesses. I know Subway, just to finish off that discussion, Power of Systems, you you learned a lot. We've had the discussion on the show before. We've had the king of systems in Michael Gerber as a guest on the show. What can you what can you add? What, what, what was the brilliance that you learned? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think systems is the absolute, you know, keystone for any business, whether you're a franchise or not. If you're a franchise, you've got the systems, but you still need to build your own internal systems into your business. Uh, but any business that's uh, been successful for me has been successful because I've created the systems to continue to help me scale it because you can't build beyond yourself without the systems to run it. And like we're in such an amazing age for our systems to be able to be almost built for us, um, the platforms to create them and everything. Like 10, 15 years ago, we didn't have what we had now, um, you know, back in the old day kind of thing. <laughs> but mm. it's amazing what we've got now to create the systems and build our business. And and, and do you, the, are you the, talking the, about things like be able to, you know, Google Drive, a place to kind of create document systems and put them in the cloud for all to access? Is that yeah, the kind Google of stuff? The fact you can video things, you can talk systems through and simple simple stuff like that. You think about the, the, the ease of access now to virtual assistants in Australia or overseas. Uh, most of us are working from home at the moment because of the coronavirus and, and now it's sort of coming back out of restrictions now. Uh, well, 
we wouldn't have the ability to be able to do that if we didn't have, you know, all these solutions on the cloud, things like Google Sites to host all our systems and procedures and and um, things like Trello and Asana to be able to communicate with team. Amazing. Yeah, it's phenomenal. A mate of mine, Dave Jennings, has actually put a business together called System Hub in recognition that, you know, there are all these different systems and he's brought it in together. So uh, it is very, very powerful. In your book, you talk about being defrauded of half a million dollars, young Matthew. Tell us that story. I don't know why I'm smiling at you when you when I say it. It still hurts when I hear it. Yeah, it was uh, it was back in the early day. I'd started. I had I think four shops, and in my first business, I had a business partner, um, and I had that partner throughout the first um, four shops that I had with him, and we opened four in quick succession. And uh, you know, when you are in business with someone, you and you're going to have a partnership. The best kind of partner to have is somebody that has your weaknesses and, and you on the flip side. Um, so I was great at the front end of business. I was great with customer service and all that, um, the team stuff. Um, and he was great at the back end. He'd run um, his own bunch of businesses. He had over 40 businesses himself um, in retail as well. And uh, so he was going to run the whole back end of it. And I thought, what a perfect marriage, the trust factor once yeah, again. And I, I just went, you. here you go. Mm, here you go, mate take over the back end. I'll look after the front. So of course, uh, my end was going great. The sales were fantastic. Service was fantastic. The team were pumped. We were, we were charging ahead in those businesses. Uh, but what I didn't know is my business partner was having his own sort of financial woes and, uh, and through his own challenges and going downhill there, he actually um, ended up going bankrupt. And um, we ended up having a debt owed because of payments that he hadn't made and money that he'd moved of about half a million bucks. When we compounded that with the uh, tax penalties and interest, that was three quarters of a million bucks that we ended up owing. And we, look, it was, you know, heartbreaking stuff. And we had businesses and we, you know, had three young kids and we just had to make a decision. My wife and I, you know, in business together, although she's a school teacher and and, uh, does her own thing and is amazing at that. But we just made a decision about whether we were just going to go, well, we can't repay that or whether we would, you know, put our heads down and work really hard and do it. And that's what we did. We we thought, oh, well, the money's owed, irrespective of the fact that it's not really owed by me anymore. It was owed by my business partner. The business owed it. We had things like superannuation, that for team and, um, you know, the wages had all been paid, but all that tax super stuff hadn't been paid. We got some payment plans in place with the ATO and stuff like that and knuckled down to pay it. The GFC then hit though and they they made a big claim and wanted a big chunk of it paid. So we ended up selling our family home. Some Also some really bad advice from an accountant, by the way. Never sell your family home. That's why you set the structures up like you do. Yes. Oh my goodness. Anyway, we sold our family home to clear the debt and all that sort of stuff and really started again. But you know, it cost us a decade of our lives to, to rebuild. So pretty, pretty gut-wrenching, but there's like so many lessons in there. And, you know, it's easy to look back and go, oh yeah, okay, I've learned those lessons. I've done well off the back of it. And I teach and train and educate people all over the world in this stuff um, now, which um, is probably making me that that back and then some, but you know. Well, it's awesome that you can tell that story, Matt, with a smile on your face. Well done to you. Um, (laughs) It's pretty common though, Tim, as well. Like it happens in small business all over the place. 96% are going to fail in that 10 years. Um, That 4% are probably just surrounding themselves with fantastic people and making a bunch of good decisions. And that's really, I think, the key to success. Speaking of horror stories, you've owned subways, you've owned video shops, customer service plays a big role in owning any kind of business like that. Got, got any customer service horror stories or, or happy stories? 
how long is this show for, mate? <laughs> <laughs> I think um, I, I think I as long as it needs to be, and not a second more. <laughs> Fantastic. So, um, I, I, the one that always comes to mind is, and it's got a good lesson behind it as well that I've learned off the back of it, and also that I probably put into place because of it. And I had this, I was in the cafe and we ran a cafe in the local suburbs. It did 100, 120 kilos a week of coffee on a, on a reasonable week, um, which is a pretty high turnover cafe. So we're always busy. And I remember this day was a public holiday and I was actually in behind the counter serving as I always did in the busy days. I, I got in and uh, on the tools and helped the team. And I had a lady come to the counter. She ordered a baby Chino for a, for a kid and she had got a coffee. So they sat down and we took that to the table and she came back. Um, so baby Chinos, by the way, come with a, they're free and they come with a marshmallow. So after she got her, served her item, she came back to the uh, counter and said, oh, look, the baby Chino is too cold. Can you please remake it? Now, uh, reflecting, I can remember back that the marshmallow had disappeared off the uh, off there. And uh, so we made her another one, put another marshmallow on, took that back out to her. A couple of minutes later, back she comes. It's still too cold. And I'm looking at the baristas and they're like, we can't do it burning hot for a child. So we've got to make it a certain temperature. And they're, you know, we're pretty good at this stuff because, you know, we're doing a few coffees a week. And so once again, we remake it. You know, another baby, another marshmallow, send it out. So after the fifth time she came back, so five marshmallows have gone. We've remade it five times. And she said, I, I don't understand how you can't get it right. And I said, look, you know, I actually watched them make the last one <laughs> to be super sure. I said, I'm not sure what you're expecting of us, but can I just say, if you'd paid me $100 for this baby Chino, I'd be giving the 100 bucks back to you right now and saying, hey, I'm really sorry but I just don't think we can deliver what you would like us to deliver to you. I just don't think we can help you in this instance. Obviously, the coffee is fine, but the baby Chino, we're just not coming to the party no. with it. Um, so if, if you'd paid me a hundred bucks for it, I would just give you the hundred bucks back. But because it's free, there's really nothing more I can do. So I'm really sorry. And she just said, well, I'm going to stand here until you make me one. I said, no. well, you've got five, you can, you'll have, yeah, there's nothing more I can do. So, but the, it was like awkward, the standoff, for, yeah. like she was there for 20 minutes and we're all, you know, awkward. <laughs> but, and she was a bit abrupt and rude about it all as well. And we're trying to be nice because we've got this whole raving fans philosophy and my whole team's watching me to see how I'm going to handle yeah. this as well. Yeah. But it goes to show you, you can't serve everyone. You can't deliver to everybody the product and service they want from you. So sometimes you've just got to cut your losses and let them go. It's pretty hard though when you're giving someone something free. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, now, um, yeah. And now known as the marshmallow lady. I know, right? Like, and, and just it's funny, like you, you think about today and the people these days, the people these days with the email warriors and things like that. Like I see some things even in my business now and, so, and, and so, you know, some other businesses over the years, the emails people write to people are like, <laughs> it's like they're the caustic in some of the words, yeah, they, yeah, the yeah, choice of phrases. Yeah. Find out if you're right before you send the email. That'd be my first suggestion. Good advice. Sometimes. Good advice. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So yeah. Yeah, horror story. Now, marketing, you've, you've owned a a lot of businesses. What what role has marketing played, Matt, in, in all these? Has it been a significant, a, a critical part of growing the business? Subway definitely taught me that um, marketing is an essential part of business. I, I had done a, um, a Bachelor of Commerce degree as well. And, uh, you know, they talk about marketing there, although I haven't used any of the marketing that I learned at uni. It's all been stuff that I've learned through training programs, events, online courses, podcasts. podcasts. And stuff. <laughs> yes, that's right. So, um, like everything I've learned really on how to have a successful business is through the education of people that have done it before or have spoken to people that have done it before. And, and that's where you really do your learning. But I know that like I've kind of thought 
and, and implemented a strategy where one approach is never enough. You've kind of got to spread your risk across several approaches in marketing, kind of the pillars of marketing. And I often talk to clients about this all the time. Like, you know, we've got um, like PR and entering yourself in business awards and all that sort of stuff is a, it's a fantastic marketing activity. Strategic partnerships and referral partnerships are a huge opportunity to, to leverage and grow your business. You know, going online, your digital platforms, your, your website, your, you know, SEO and all that, having and doing something and engaging in that side of business. Of course, networking is a, yes. um, a very, very important part of, uh, of marketing and just old school as well. You know, hitting the, hitting the ground, hitting the pavement and, and going into local businesses and door to door and doing letterbox drops and Love stuff it. like that. One of the areas that you have absolutely grabbed a hold of when it comes to marketing, and I love that four pillars uh, example, or, the, or actually just the pillars of marketing, is, is networking for you. You started a business called BX Networking, which is your main focus, I guess, right now. Unless the video, you got you got some other video shop out there that we don't know about. What did you see wrong with the current networking model? It's a bit of a leading question because I've got some thoughts on it too that inspired you to start BX Networking. Well, so let me just say there's there's always areas of improvement with any business or concept. So I saw opportunities to, to for a niche type of networking that it was a massively missing gap in, in what was offered out there. And I've been involved in many networking organizations from all the way from kind of the, the softer style of networking groups like Chambers of Commerce, all the way through to like those hardcore kind of very highly accountable groups like BNI. Been in them all and had success in all of them. So rather than saying, you know, they don't work because certainly they all have a place. I just knew that there was a missing piece in networking. So we created BX, which is Business Networking Reimagined. And it's about helping people connect, not with each other as clients, because that kind of gets sleazy with the whole selling factor, but helping people connect to that top level, like a referral partner, someone that already has all their clients. They're probably having conversations with those clients on a regular basis. And they, they can probably prospect those people on behalf of you and then send them your way, as opposed to lots of networking now has kind of evolved and they say, okay, well, let's not sell to each other. But if you think of someone or see someone that needs me, I'll send them your way and vice versa. The problem with that is it's still a very closed model where we're not thinking outside the room except to connect with end clients. We're thinking outside the room to connect with referral partners that have a truckload of your clients. And it creates a much better return on investment and a much longer term return on investment because you don't have to be a member because if you've built a relationship with a referral partner, it's not linked to your membership. It's a long-term, it's something that you've invested in personally as a relationship that returns the results, not as a membership that returns the results. Can I just understand that before we go a bit further into BX networking? So what you're saying is typical networking, you go to a chamber of commerce event or you go to a BNI group and you may meet someone who has the potential to buy from you and you get a sale. Awesome, but then you've got to find another one, another one, another one. What you're doing with BX Networking is networking with people who have the attention of the same people that you want to sell to and you become strategic partners. Is that more to the point? And you get that amplification. So we're actually connecting you with those referral partners. So you're going to find some of them naturally in the network because we just open up. We're inclusive. You can have the same, um, you know, all your competitors can be in the room with you. That that actually works to your advantage, not a disadvantage. So it's about saying, who do you know How that is my the- referral partner that you can connect me with? Who do I, okay. How does it, how's it an advantage to have competitors in the room? 
because very rarely do our competitors do exactly the same thing as as we do. And there's often the opportunity to collaborate and uh, we niche in a certain space. So we can, we might be a business coach that works on mindset. We might be a business coach here that works on strategy. So we can often have heaps of crossover, even uh, finance people. Um, in fact, one of our groups had six mortgage brokers. <laughs> and like, I used to think, how do six mortgage <laughs> brokers get benefit? But because they're all pitching for connections outside of the room and referral partners outside of the room, they're getting those connections and they're building their own referral base outside of the room. But also, they said they're referring to each other all the time because of the niches they were in. So it really adds an advantage there because if somebody's coming to you as a business coach and saying, hey, I'm trying to do this and you go, well, actually, I don't do this, but you've got someone who's who you know does it well and, and you're connected with and your friendships you've got a relationship with, that's an easy referral. And then you can refer to someone within the network. So the B&Is are, are, are better than just the selling to each other. They certainly connect and they, they're about referring to each other within the network. And if you're the mortgage broker in that, particular chapter, you will get the mortgage broking leads from everybody in the chapter. They'll find you first. But if you leave that chapter and you're no longer a member, your leads dry up because a new mortgage broker comes in and they start getting all the leads. Whereas BX, it's all about building relationships outside the room. Then therefore they transcend your membership. They're long-term. As long as you nurture that relationship, it's valuable to you and you can get a huge return on investment and then some, and then keep going on with it as well. Where do you see people going wrong with networking? Because it does have a bit of a bad, in many business owners' minds, and I'm sure there's many listening, they hear networking and they, a little chill goes up their spine. It may be because they have some social anxiety. It may be because they've tried it before and it just doesn't work. It feels fake. They've been sold to or they've been too salesy. Where are they going wrong? Well, there's a few elements there. And, and I guess this is why I like I recently rebranded and um, taken the tagline business networking reimagined. I, I kind of wanted to take networking out of our branding altogether, but it's still people associate what we're doing with networking because it is we're building communities uh, and we're networking together. But it has such a stigma around it. Um, of course, there's all there's a bunch of hardcore networkers, and I see them crossing over all over the place. But there's a massive amount of people that do not network because of the, the stigma around it. Um, and it's two of the elements that you touched on. One is just that salesy kind of thing. They hate being sold to. They've been to some sort of event where they they go in and people are flicking business cards at them, and they're going, you know, buy my product, buy my service, um, and no one likes being sold to or sold at. Uh, so th- that turns them off straight away. And the other element that you tapped on um, is that anxiety factor. And that's huge because people generally, um, you know, public speaking is like a number one fear for people, uh, which happens often at networking. You've got to pitch your business and yourself. Uh, but also there's that anxiety of, of being left alone, of no one to talk to, standing in social isolation. So that's a major fear for people. And so we built a model around making sure that never happens to people. Um, and we've got a structure to, to make sure that, you know, we have never have that awkward moment because that's, you know, you don't, I don't want someone coming along going, oh my God, even though the event was good and or fantastic or whatever, but I felt awkward because I didn't know anyone and no one talked to me. And going up to people is hard for most people. Like you might get your typical ice style of personality who is, you know, bubbly, will go up and talk to anybody. But, you know, 80% of people will not do that. And so you've got to create a format where that's the case. And most people just, you know, they want you to facilitate that process rather than leave it to them to have to do the connecting with people. What's the typical format for a BX 
event? Yeah, look, um, it's evolved over time, but uh, the, the most important three elements for us are obviously people get an opportunity to to introduce themselves, that you know who they are, what they do, why they do what they do. You know, Simon Sinek says people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it, but also who you're looking to connect with. So the who is is super important, um, and the who is your ideal referral partner. So people say I'm looking to connect with an accountant or a, a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker, whoever it is, they're looking to connect with, and the room says, oh, who do I know in that space that I can connect you with? And because we know you're not going to sell to them, we know that uh, you're going to help them, we're happy to make those connections because it's a really valuable connection for both parties then. Um, the other element is we always have a member do a presentation. So they do like a 10 or 12 minute presentation with some questions and answers. It's not a salesy thing either. It's it's showcasing their expertise um, and, and their, their field of expertise. And then the last part of the meeting, which everyone says this is their favorite part, every time we say to a guest, uh, what was your favorite part? They go, the one-to-ones at the end because it's an opportunity to meet strategically with another person one-on-one. Uh, right now, we're killing it online because uh, everyone goes, oh, you know, I'm so, I so miss talking to people one-on-one. And every time I go to a networking event, it's all always in a room of people and there's no individual dialogue. So we do three 10-minute one-on-ones at every single meeting where you get to meet with someone that you'd like to talk to um, and create the opportunities to collaborate and find out more about how you can help them as well. And they're the three kind of elements to our meeting that you know seem to work awesomely. Great structure. So, okay, if, if people go to a BX networking event, that's what they're going to experience. For those listening who are still, you know, when COVID lifts and we can go to live events again, what is the secret to successful networking? Is there just one tip you can give people? Well, definitely don't sell when you go to a networking room. So, you know, I would encourage everybody, everybody who, who's thinking out there, oh, you know, I can hear what he's saying, but I've had experiences in networking. Um, I would say, Try going again because things evolve. You know, business has evolved. I know every kind of networking is trying to evolve, um, and they've learned a lot through the online. They'll probably be applying back into the the um, face to face as well. But the big thing is go in with a mindset of not what am I going to get out of this, but how many people do I think I can help today and connect today with who they'd like to be helped by? And that philosophy will actually take you a lot further. You know, the law of reciprocity or karma, whatever you look at it. I, I tell you. It works time and time again. And you can't go, well, if I give here, I'm going to get X in return. It's just going to be, well, I'm just going to give as much as I can because I know that somewhere along the line, it'll come back to me in spades. And it truly, it does. It's amazing. Matt, I have written a book. It's called The Boomerang Effect. And it is the boomerang effect is that the more, it's actually specific to marketing, but it actually, it pertains to life generally. And that is the more helpful you are in your marketing, the more it's going to return multiples. And those multiples could be more sales, more contacts, but other amazing things could happen. It could develop it for me, you know, being helpful through my podcast led to a speaking career in conferences. And, you know, you, you don't know what your boomerang effect is going to be, but the key word there is is helpful. I've got to ask a very specific question. Is the business card dead? Well, it's funny. My answer to this simply is no. Over the years, I've had people say, oh, I don't do business cards. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, how do I get in contact with you? Oh, we'll, we'll d- use this app. And I've got to go, so I've got to download an app now to, to, to get in contact with you um, and, and various things like that. And it always, I see it happen across networks all the time. It's always kind of a weird exchange. So I would say to people, have a good quality business card that represents you and your brand because there's an expectation that you will have one when you meet other people. And I know that we've got heaps of amazing technology and we've, you know, we can do Bluetooth check-ins with LinkedIn and connect with people at meetings and stuff. That's all fantastic and embrace that. 
But don't forget that sometimes if someone wants to actually connect with you and you have a barrier to connecting with them, it's, it may never happen. So create and make it nice and easy for people to connect with you. Um, and it'd be like saying the mobile phone is dead. And so because we're all using you know, other forms now, you know, at the end of the day, you just want to make people, you want to make yourself as accessible as possible and position yourself well. And I think that uh, the business card still does that. Yeah, I totally, I agree with that. And I think too, you know, when you do get back to the office, you do physically put that business card on the desk and it does sit there until you do something with it. Whereas if you meet someone and you load their info into your phone, there is no trigger really outside of your own memory uh, to, to go back and revisit them. Matt, I went out to my the Small Business Big Marketing Tribe, which is the Facebook group that I run for listeners of this show, and said, I'm, I'm talking to a networking expert, and what questions do you have around networking? Now, I showed you these questions. There are eight, and interestingly enough, we both had the same observation, which is they're all fear-based questions, uh, which is kind of interesting, which kind of reconfirms that there's a lot of people out there who find networking maybe not a dirty word, but certainly a scary word. Chris Bayer asks, are some industries better suited to networking than others? Yeah, look, I think um, with that question, definitely. And I'd say anxiety is probably placed with experience from the past. So I would try, like come to a BX because we know we'll look after you, but I'd say we're all evolving. So, you you know, just because you tried something in the past doesn't mean that it's going to be terrible again. You might've gone to one meeting somewhere with one networking group don't let that give networking a bad name overall. And yes, we definitely have evolved yeah. and, um, and some some have reimagined how networking is supposed yes. to be as well. Do you find it more suited to uh, service industries or product industries? Yeah. Or- I would say B2B is definitely the strongest return for um, for any kind of business because it's easy to, like we're all doing business with other business owners. So therefore to connect you with other business owners is definitely a lot easier as well. And B2C is kind of the harder one because we're not connecting with that business to connect your consumer. So it's a different kind of element. But in saying that, we've got some cafes and restaurants that are absolutely smashing it and it's different style and a different approach, but we have the facility to do that. But you've got to work out what suits you. Um, you know, certainly if you're going to chambers of commerce and stuff like that, and you're in in a B two C, you will find people that recognise the brand that you've got locally and probably connect with you off the back of that. But yeah, B two B is just super easy. If you're in any B two B, you'll absolutely kill it. B two C, you have to imp- you know implement a couple of different kinds of strategies and that to help you with that as uh, well. Tribe member Tim Solman asks, "How do you network without the risk of someone using your idea?" Interesting. I hear the, I, I hear this a lot. What's your thoughts yes. on that? Well, it's interesting. So, first of all, pick the network that you're going to, because if you're going to a pitch fest, networking style of event, uh, then someone may be there just to steal ideas. But if you're going to a community based networking, and I would say like a BNI, like a BX, like a Chamber of Commerce, there's a different kind of feel to that, where it's about Hey, we're all kind of in this together, and we're we're a community. Uh, then, you know, generally speaking, I would say that people aren't going to be looking to steal ideas. So I'd, I'd definitely pick your event uh, that you're going to. That would be my, my first suggestion. But I'd also say that, hey, once you're out there marketing your business in any way, your idea's up for grabs. Get it uh, out there. So, <laughs> the best ideas are the ones that are out there fast yep. and are building fast and, and before their competitors can catch them. And that's what I'd be doing. And networking and the other strategies and pillars of, net, of marketing are what you need to do and you need to implement fast so you can grow fast so your competitors can only catch up. Totally. Nadim, Nadim Zrikat uh, says, you, oh, asks, you're alone at an event 
everyone's in their own groups. How do you break through that? The classic icebreaker question. Look, um, I first of all, three seconds of courage is all it takes in anything in life. It, it, as soon as you get that, um, oh my God factor, just think three seconds of courage, I can do anything. And remember that uh, that feeling of anxiety, of, uh, of fear is, is the same emotion as excitement. So just in your brain say, hey, this is really exciting. Actually, I'm going to meet some new people. It does change that chemistry going on there a bit as well. But you know, just walk them and say, hey, how are you going? This is my first event. If you say that to people, immediately all barriers drop. People are so welcoming and they'll accept you straight away. So I think the hardest thing is if you go and say, hey, um, so what do you do? Because that's kind of like, well, okay, like let's, let's, welcome and greet each other first. So just come in and say, hey, how are you going? Uh, this is my first networking event or I've never been here before. Or, you know, is this your first time? And it immediately disarms people and people are people are nice. Like they're not going to uh, turn you away. They're going to be welcoming and supporting for you. Generally nice. Generally. <laughs> Follow-up question from Arne Betteridge asks, how do you overcome feeling like the dumbest person in the room? <laughs> it's so funny. Someone said this this morning at one of our breakfasts. They said, at one of our meetings this morning, they said, oh my God, I always feel so dumb when I come to these things. And I'm like, don't worry. Everyone always feels like the dumbest person in the room. So you're not alone in your thinking, but you're wrong in your thinking because really it's just it's just a feeling. Everyone's at a different stage in business. Everyone's at a different stage in the terms of networking they've done. And if you go to a supportive kind of environment, they're there to help you and, and help you get the best out of the experience. They're not looking to pick faults in what you do. So yeah, like even this online stuff, people have been have never been to a Zoom meeting before. All of a sudden, they're doing two or three or four or five, 10, 20 a week. And they're like, at first, you know, everything's hard until it's easy. You just got to keep going and keep pushing through and it becomes easier. Ben Mignatoli asks, should you set a target before attending a networking event, e.g. for new contacts? Yeah, definitely. Look, um, I would say, as in like the law of reciprocity, I wouldn't set a, a target for a networking event. I'd go, well, if I'm going to invest in networking, what sort of return on investment do I want from networking? Um, any kind of marketing, you'd be asking the same questions. Networking is the same. So how much money do I need to make to make this a profitable exercise? What's my average client worth? How many of those a year would I need or a month would I need to make my investment into like a membership and attendance and all that sort of stuff have value? That's where I'd sort of set the goals. And then because you can work back from there. But if you said, oh, I need to get four new contacts per event, it kind of works on the flip to the law of reciprocity. I'd go, well, I'm going to give, I'm going to make sure I give four people a good connection at each meeting. And my goal for my return on investment is this. That's a different way of looking at it, but it will work. It will flow through, definitely. Love that. Bob Rachel asks, and I think we know the answer to this, Matt, is it okay to act salesy at a networking event? I wonder whether salesy has actually made word of the year with in the Oxford Dictionary. I'm not sure it actually is a word yet, but it needs to be because it comes up a lot. Oh, I hate it. It's so sleazy going to networking when you think people are trying to sell to you. Please just, you know, just go there with the thought process of how can I help people and it will flow back. The salesy people and yet you, you hear it um, and we get, our members are normally really good because they've, they're part of that culture and our guests are very fastly absorb that sort of culture even on their first event. But every now and again, um, someone will go, um, so, you know, if you want my products or service, come talk to me and buy it off me. And, and everyone sort of, you can see faces sort of go like this. 
And Uh-oh. I'll say, awesome, that's great. So that's your, that's your perfect ideal client. Um, who's a great connection for you then maybe as a referral partner? And they go, oh, okay. Or we go, oh, you know, it'll be a great referral partner. So we help them through the process. But oh, the salesy element is is irky, right? It's Sleazy, not pretty. You like need a it. shower. First thing you do when you leave <laughs> that, that group, go and have a shower. John Zarita asks, uh, Facebook groups, the future of networking events. Is it all going online or can we expect to see? We, we're having this conversation at the back end of the first phase of COVID, I hope there's not a second, but we're, yeah. So answer it as if, well, answer it as the world is right now, I guess. Well, we're, we're, we're coming back now. So we're, you know, restrictions are all being lifted and we're, and we are moving forward and, and um, we hope that we don't have a, another resurgence. And I think Australia is looking in a good position and um, certainly our Kiwi cousins as well. Um, the rest of the world, well, you know, that's up to them, but uh, I, I definitely would um, be envisaging that, that this is a new way of doing business. Mm. And certainly, you know, being online is is the new way we've adapted to, but it's not going away. You know, we're not going back to normal. There's a new normal yeah. now. There's a new benchmark in the way we're doing it. I'm a firm believer that human is the new collateral. You know, being with real people, talking to people, connecting with people, whether that's online or whether that's face-to-face is so, so important. And I don't think you can get that when you're typing. You can only get that when you're looking at somebody and when you're, or like whether it's uh, on a Zoom call or whether it's, you know, face to face over breakfast, that human element is so powerful. And it's, it's the, it's the element that's going to make you successful in business, just being around those quality people as well. And I think to John's question, Matt, when we talk about networking, we've spoken a lot about events and face to face and, you know, well, this type of networking, but maybe everyone listening should just take on more of a networking mindset as business owners. So be on the lookout to meet new people, be on the lookout for strategic partners, be on the lookout to help others knowing that that's going to come back and help you. And just just be, be that networker person and, and um, put yourself out there because so often when we do stick our head above the trench, we get noticed and people will respond to that. Action creates reaction, as I say. Matt, last question is from Craig Helmers. Just to throw in there, I know you like your cliches, so I thought I'd- You do, I bloody just (laughs) played along. (laughs) But I'm a firm believer that your network is your net worth. So whether you're- yeah, whether you're in a networking group or whatever you do, being successful in business and life is all about creating a, a tribe around you and uh, and making that a valuable contributor to your business and life. Um, it doesn't matter if it's financial con- contribution or not. It's about the, just being around like-minded people, having thoughts, uh, you know, positive mindset. Um, it's really valuable to have great people around you. So you know, your network is your net worth. Absolutely. Just to add another cliche is you don't know who knows who. You know, the old six degrees of Kevin Bacon or six degrees of separation that LinkedIn is built on is, you know, I had a, had a guest on a few weeks ago. He has the largest lawn care business, had the largest lawn care business in Tennessee uh, with $10 million lawn, lawn mowing guy, right? And um, one of his clients was a McDonald's franchisee whose lawn he mowed at his residential home and he did a good job. And then lawnmower guy taps McDonald's franchisee on the shoulder and says, hey, can I do your McDonald's store? And he does a good job of the McDonald's store and then gets referred to more McDonald's store franchisees. And that's off the back of mowing one lawn. So, you know, you don't know who knows who. Last question is from Craig Helmers. Is it acceptable to ask the organiser who's attending, who is attending and whether they'd be happy to introduce you to a particular person? 
Absolutely. Um, and that, that should be the, the goal of the organiser to make sure that you're connecting with the people that you want to connect with. We have it as part of our goal. Even when I attend a networking event, I take a paper and pen and I write down everyone's name that's requesting you know, referral partner connections and I write down what they do and then who they're asking to connect with. And I go away and I, and I make connections happen for most of the people that I, that I network with. The organiser, and my team do that as well, obviously, the organisers of any event, that's their goal. They're they need to help you connect with more people. They're going to put you in front of an audience that's going to help you do that as well. But if, if you're not getting connections at a networking event, there's a problem with the networking event that's not yeah. being facilitated well. Um, so absolutely, like no question. Yeah, great. Hey, Matt, good story up front going through the 10 businesses. I think it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, great that you've kind of narrowed it down to a, a, a particular passion, which is networking. And I know in our chat uh, a couple of days ago in, the, in our pre-interview, you were hoping that BX Networking or your aim is for BX Networking to be the leading networking organisation in Australia and New Zealand. So, mate, I wish you all the luck with that. And um, anything that we can do to help, you know, small to medium business owners grow is got to be a good thing. So, so well done, buddy. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Tim bxnetworking.com.au. Thanks, Matt. Well, there you go, team. Matt Alderton of BX Networking. Are you motivated to dust off the business cards and bump a few elbows post-COVID? Well, I suppose you don't even have to wait for post-COVID. As we talked about, you can network online. Here's what grabbed my attention from that chat with Matt. Attention grabber number one. I love Matt's view that as marketers, we should spread our risk across the various key pillars of marketing to include things like awards, partnerships, online, networking, all with a dash of old school marketing thrown in for good measure. Attention grabber number two, I love Matt's view that we should all honour the law of reciprocity. Hey, we give what we, or what does they say? We get what we give. And attention grabber number three, I love the idea of finding three seconds of courage that then enables us to do absolutely anything, as Matt put it. So, you know, when you are at that next business networking event, you've just got to find that three seconds of courage to say, G'day, my name's Timbo. What do you do? Well, don't say your name's Timbo if it's not Timbo, but you know what I mean. Find that courage. That's what grabbed my attention. Whatever grabbed yours, be sure to block out some time and implement it. Come on down. It's Timbo's Monster Prize Draw. Yes, indeedly, doodly, it's time to reward another motivated business owner for taking some serious marketing action. And today's winner is Tim Nutman of healthmagic.com.au. And here is what Tim has to say. He says, hey, Timbo. Okay, Tim. The idea which has had the biggest payback would be outsourcing to undertake tasks which no longer service me to undertake to work more on the business rather than in my business. That is, listing all the tasks undertaken, then ranking them in order of importance to least important. Then the bottom 30% least important tasks asking the question around better ways of doing them in the future, either outsourcing or finding a better way to complete the tasks which are completed regularly. That's a great insight, Tim. Really good. One of the things I suggest is the three Ds. Um, You either do the tasks, you delete them, or you delegate them. 
okay? We've talked about this before, but it's a great way. So get that long list of tasks going and apply one of the three Ds. Tim goes on to say, thank you for your weekly dose of marketing inspiration, thoughts and ideas, and I hope one day to pay it forward. Oh, I thought he was going to say, I hope one day to pay you for it, but it said pay it forward. Okay, we'll go with that. Kind regards, Tim Nutman, healthmagic.com.au. Tim, mate, thank you for listening to the show, but more importantly, well done to you for implementing. Here's what you win, a full range of liars, non-alcoholic spirits, hardcover of Jamie Mustard's book, The Iconist, a Bonjoro license, you get a voucher for Sendall, for Flo- Laura and Fauna and tradies underwear. Get some new undies. It's time you got some new undies, Tim. <laughs> that sounded weird. Eight pack of Mr. Lee's noodles, promotion on this show and a backlink in the show notes over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com, which Google will absolutely love you for. Everyone else, if you have taken an idea from this show, implemented it in your business, then email me and tell me what it's done for you. Tim at timreid.com.au. If I read it out on air, you win. Whew. Another big ep. I told you it would be. How'd you enjoy it? Love to know. Feel free to drop me a line over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com forward slash 511. Hey, there's plenty more where this came from, by the way, over on the Podcast One Australia app. Plus, you can find my entire archive of episodes and about... 87 blog posts at last count over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. Next time you and I meet Colin Frager, who by the time he finished four years of university, (laughs) owned 19 properties. Oh, I love that. He then decided to sell all but two of them and do something that will surprise you. More on that next time. If you are getting value from listening, then please let other business owners know about the Small Business Big Marketing Podcast, which was presented by me, Timbo Reid, and cleverly put together by the perfectly balanced team over at Podcast One Australia. Until next time, thanks for tuning in. Now get out there and take action. Take action.